You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, everyone. You've arrived at one Two me you where two special guests chatted up delving into the inner workings of the creative process rooted in punk and hardcore, doing it their way, trailblazing, making mistakes, getting it right, and more. Keith Morris is the singer of Circle Jerks and Off, who came up in Los Angeles singing for Black Flag in the late 1970s. Kat Moss is from Santa Cruz and fronts the band Scowl. The age difference is vast, but the connection is real. Check it out. Kat and Keith recorded at Going Underground Records in Los Angeles, California. Okay, this is where um, one of us has to get their tongue oh, yeah. snapped in the, I don't think it's gonna in the clapper. Action. See, and then that gives you an excuse not to have to do this, yeah. to, to get raced over to the emergency room for stitches or... Okay, well, we're gonna start with day yeah. jobs. We have okay. to start with day yeah. jobs. Because that's a very important part of this. All right. What's your day job? Well, I work at a coffee company in Santa Cruz. It's a classic. But I work in production, so I don't have to deal with customers. The but you get to drink a lot of coffee. Oh, yeah. Every that's day. excellent. Yeah. What about you? So everybody, walk, everybody walks around with the jitters. Yes. And they're gritting their teeth. And then they're waiting for Friday night so they can have a party and have the Coke dealer show up or whatever. Um, my day job is just to make it through the day, yeah. every day. I've had quite a few day jobs, all very exciting. Everything that you would expect from a person that's in a band. See, now I've been in a band with a, a character named Greg Hetson, who at one point the Circle Jerks that was his full-time job. And then he got the offer to play in Bad Religion, which turned the circle jerks into, well, I'll do it whenever I have some spare time. Classic. And in these breaks, in these dips, in these valleys, I have worked uh, as a bartender, as a bar back, um, bussing tables, as a barista, we had a really great job down in Century City. All of us actually got a job through Lucky Lair, our, our drummer at the time, who he happened to be working for a law firm. And they needed people to come in and stack papers. And we were working on, the case that we were working on was, um, there are two brothers that own a chain of theaters. And one of the brothers was getting all of the, first run, big, ultra-mega, multi-million dollar movies. And the other brother was just 
getting scraps, getting tossed, whatever was left over. And I, I don't even know what the entire situation was. We were just happy to have this job where at lunchtime we, we could go into Beverly Hills and get something to eat and or maybe hit a bar or hit a liquor store and we could drink on the yeah. job and nobody really cared. Would you um, say that's your favorite, that was your favorite day job that you had? Or it what was, was your favorite? It was fun. It was actually yeah. fun because there was so much stuff going on, but favorite day job. Maybe when I swept the floor in the barber shop yeah. on Saturday morning. Yeah. Simple. Like really simple. <laughs> you don't have to do much. Yeah. I don't like being asked to do much, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think like, so the guys in your band don't tell you well that note that you just uh, hit there needs to you need to bring it down just a little bit or? yeah I I mean we we have those conversations for sure I've gotten to a point now where like in the beginning when we first started like going on our our short runs and tours um, I was like packing the van myself and they would all kind of just go off well, the and, vocalist isn't yeah, supposed to do I know. that. That's, that's not my a, job. That's a good drill, though. Yeah, that's and a good drill. Now I, I've made it a point where I'm like, I'm not gonna lift a finger as much. Um, I, I think I deserve. I just yeah. move it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's nice. It's nice to, to keep it laid back after, putting like so much energy into like a, performance. Even though it's like, not there's not a lot of pressure on it necessarily, but. I, I still put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, do you feel like you put pressure on yourself when you're performing? Or like, did you when you were be starting out? Maybe it depends upon the situation. Yeah. Like if you're in a room and you know the show is sold out, there's yeah. going to be about 500 people here. We're playing in Phoenix, in Arizona, in the middle of the summer. This room's going to be a steam bath. Yeah, You're going to see... Um, the sweat dripping off of the walls. So prepare. better be hydrated. Yeah. Also, one of the things that I'm finding now as a senior citizen, in order to do this, I got to have a meal before we play. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, a lot of vocalists, a lot of guys in bands, oh, I'm throwing up. I can't eat before we play. I got I can't, I got to eat 17 hours before we play. Otherwise, I'm going to piss my pants and puke all over myself. And it's like, got to have gas yeah. in the tank. You have to fuel yourself. I, I've come up with like kind of a self-care routine now so that I feel ready to go. Because honestly, it, we're performing. We're like athletes you know well, that's what it is yeah. what i love about your man scowl the length of the songs trim the flat get yeah yeah i mean it should be that way i feel like i i don't have like enough attention span to sit through like a long song and i mean i appreciate it i appreciate the noisy long artistic stuff as well but when it i can't even remember that many lyrics so why would I set myself up for failure? Is it sowing seeds? Yeah, yes. Uh, would, would that be like your lengthiest song? Um, No, not necessarily. I mean, I think our longest song is on our most recent record. It's like, it's called Dead to Me. It's like two minutes, 30 seconds. And that one I still forget lyrics to live. And I just hope well, nobody knows. Well, that's what lyrics this. are for because yeah. you wrote them. Yeah. You can do with them whatever you want to do. I get to do what I do. want, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, 
it's nice to keep it short and sweet and that's the kind of music I like so why wouldn't I make music that I like and just go down that lane and that's when I first like was getting introduced to like punk rock it was like these short songs that just slap you across the face and I fucking loved it it was awesome what was going through your head when you guys first were writing that stuff like like early on so I'm talking like group sex and wild in the streets like what was that experience like writing those did you have any predisposition like expectations or because it was such a primal time you know with the music you just were were you just doing what you wanted well um you just said a primal time you take this primal time and you toss it into this blender that's going like this and all of these things are happening around you yeah. everything's happening so fast like we would be in my garage this, this would be um group sex where we had i think we had probably eight or nine songs written everybody's just tossing in their bits and pieces and at one point we had a show coming up like we've got two weeks before we're going to play our first show. It's like, guys, we have eight songs. These songs, um, we would, we would, if we were playing these songs, it would be like five or six minutes. That's awesome. That that could be pretty interesting because I, I heard all of the stories about the Jesus and Mary chain on their first tour, where they would play ten minutes with their backs to the crowd. Yeah. And they were basically just like, in a weird way, or maybe it was premeditated. They they were saying, fuck you, we don't really want to be here, but it's like part of what we do. Or maybe it's like, yeah, we'll play for 10 minutes. Yeah. And those people, they'll want so much more that the next time we come back, we'll give them 20 minutes. Yeah. And there's all of this stuff going on. So to try to focus on, well, these lyrics are about our government. And these lyrics are about my girlfriend's friend's dog pissing in a cup on a table. And I I woke up the next morning and I was still hungover and I'm looking for a beer and there's nothing in the refrigerator. And somebody, it looks like somebody left a cup of beer on the table and... You know what dog urine smells like or tastes like? Uh, not taste. <laughs> well, maybe you can have that experience yeah. one of these days. Yeah. Because it's very early for you. So, yes. Yeah. We're getting there. I mean, we did have a pretty crazy tour story where we were offered a place and we came in and there was um, a lot of dog shit everywhere and like one couch. So people definitely had to sleep on the floor. And that was, uh, that roughed me up. I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do this, but I can. It's, it's fine. It adds to yeah. your character. Absolutely. I mean, I... If you could sleep there, you could sleep anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you feel like you had a lot of those, like, just... Did you ever stop vile... at the KOA? No, we haven't done that. Because <laughs> you can shower there. Yeah, there's <laughs> And there's showers. probably some food there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, what were, what were your, like, gnarliest experiences sleeping out on the road well this would have been while i was in black flag when i was in black flag um because we were 
constantly, I was always doing stuff that pissed them off. So they got mad at me and all of a sudden I'm, they're, they're grinding on me and it's, you're this and, you know, you're the reason we're not moving forward and all of that kind of fun stuff. And I just said, fuck this. And I jumped out of the van and I started walking. I knew where we were staying. We were staying in a basement under a church in, in San Francisco. Um, and I didn't know the the neighborhood was like the last neighborhood in San Francisco, uh, a 5'5", 116-pound white drunk guy walks through there. And I found an abandoned car, and I just went to sleep in the backseat of the, no the car. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the next morning when I walked down the stairs, the, the guy that was uh, in charge of the, the church... There were a bunch of people living there. There was actually a couple of bands living there. Gotcha. And the guy said, so w what happened to you? The, the guys in your band said you just disappeared. And I told him that, you know, there's a, an abandoned car about four or five blocks down the street. And I passed out in the back of the car. And he said, this is one of the worst neighborhoods in San Francisco. So uh, you might want to, like... Think about what you do the next time you're angry with your band. Yeah. I have found myself awakened by blazing sunlight. Yeah. After a night of, Ooh. you know, maybe uh, a case of beer and yeah. some cocaine and whatever other party favors were available, like waking up with the sun just cooking one side of my face, of course, with a hangover and a headache and having to go to the bathroom, being in the van, you know, a, a, occasionally we would play places where we would be told you're going to need to have somebody in your van because uh, you're you're in a part of town that's not really a place you want to be in. Yeah. Maybe that was the reason you you were able to get the one hotel yeah. room for $25 or whatever it was. That's how you got the shows to happen there. So they wouldn't happen anywhere else, right? Um, a, a lot of times you would play in a really happening part of the yeah. city. Gotcha. But there would be, nobody had any space in their yeah. pads or um, let's just, let's just find a cheap hotel room so everybody yeah. can bathe. Yeah. And we can get back out and get on the road. Um, we, we had a period where we would always get the, the room all the way back at the end of the hotel so we could pull up with eight guys, yeah. park at the back, and the person behind the desk can't see eight people piling out when you said, well, there's two of us, so we need a double bed. And everybody would race in. It was like, who could be the first one into the yeah. room to pull the mattress off because we knew that a couple of guys would sleep on the box spring. Yeah. We knew a couple of guys would sleep on the mattress itself. But we uh, we were out during the middle of winter and we would be in some place like Chicago or Detroit where it's five degrees below Total. zero. And I always knew that the Motel 6... I don't know if they still have this, but their heater 
was like a metal strip that ran along the very bottom between the floor and the wall. And I was just going to crank the heater up all the way and lay down on the floor yeah. next to the heat. Yeah. Best place in yeah. the room. You had the setup for sure. I mean, there's those those little things you just kind of start to learn the the quirks of being on the road. Um, you know, I I'm starting to get that stuff figured out as we go and we take these longer tours and it's really exciting and I love it. But I'm also like seeing the the challenges and of course like I have it much easier now because I I just think like so much has changed and there's so much. There's so many more people involved, young individuals who just like are so willing to open up their homes for you to stay and things like that. So I, I have it pretty lucky, but, um, you know, it's it can be challenging at the same time, like kind of experiencing the quirks that nobody tells you about. And I guess I could I could ask you, like, what would be like some sort of advice, you know, like things that you never really realized would help you out when you started out with touring well one of the things that you have to understand in your touring process and staying and meeting and doing all of the different yeah. things that you do while you're on tour that's part of the character building yeah. process oh, yeah. and you can have people give you advice yeah we we never got advice no um we would go out with maybe two weeks worth of shows booked yeah. and be out for four months. Wow. Like pulling into a town. We pulled into a, uh, we played right next to the University of Tennessee. We played in the students. It was like their deli party room. Yeah. Um, pizza, pizza shop. And we played for about 50 people. It was exciting. It was yeah. fun. Uh, keep the party going. And right after we got through playing, um, we we started asking around because we had the we would have breaks in the tour where there there wouldn't be shows for three days. And yeah. it's like, what are we going to do? You know, Tennessee is beautiful, and this is a really nice time of the year. But we're not tourists. We're not out looking yeah. for all of the attractions, and. <clears throat> So we're asking around, we're, we're curious as to, well, are, are there any other places we could play? And then um, somebody that worked in another pizza sh shop said, well, why don't you come in tomorrow afternoon and play for whoever shows yeah, up? Just that simple. You know, and then all of a sudden we would be playing a pizza parlor yeah. and there'd be like 30 or 40 people. And then from that show, because one of the people in the crowd happened to be the... 14 year old kid yeah. who was with his best friend who were neighbors their parents had left for the weekend so it's the, here we are on sunday they said we're gonna have we're, we're gonna have a party for all of the kids in the neighborhood it's like okay they said you, you want to come and play in our garage so we end up playing in the garage of course there's kids out riding their bikes yeah. and skateboarding and trying to fly a kite and you know, chasing dogs and all sorts of wonderful things like that. And it would be like 20 kids. There would be situations like playing a bar. It's like, okay, here we go. We're going to be playing the 21 and over. It's going to be a bunch of drunks. You know, we're, we're, 
that this one scenario is in Alabama, and I forget what city it was in Alabama, but um, rednecks abound, yeah. and we got there for sound check and said to the, the, the guy that owns the bar, could we possibly set up and play for the 15 kids out front who can't get in? They're just going to hang out so they can hear what's going on. And he said, sure, why not? So he opens the door, and of course, there's like 40 kids. Wow. You know, um, yeah. they get on the telephone. You got to come over here because the circle jerks are playing. This is before all of yes. the internet stuff and the Xbox and whatever you carry in your top pocket. Yeah. So we, we play for the kids. And of course, there's a couple of drunk rednecks that, are, that don't understand what the kids are doing. You know, when they're piling on top of each other yeah. and they're jumping up and down and pogoing and, you know, throwing a few elbows here and there. And they think, well, it's their turn. We're going to show the kids, yeah. you know, you don't come into the bar where we hang out and do what you do. And so uh, a, 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 a couple of kids get elbowed and one kid gets punched and it's like, no, 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 mm -mm. no, 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 no. No, go back and play pool. And they started to go back to the pool hall in the back of the yeah. building. And I chased them like, don't be fucking with the kids. <laughs> don't fuck with them. And our roadie had jumped off the stage. He saw what was happening. He saw that, you know, these guys were going to tie me up into a pretzel and just roll me down the road. So he comes charging up like he's going to get into it with one of the guys and the, the first guy stops and throws a blow and our roadie ducks and the guy hits me right in oh. the face and I'm seeing stars and hearing the birds and yeah. oh my world's been rearranged and no oh, is this the is this the emergency room at the hospital? And um anyways, they stayed where they were at yeah. and we played some more songs and the kids had a great time and then we played for the adults and there was probably because it was like a thursday or friday night everybody wanted to drink so yeah. the, the bar turned into what it would normally be with some punk rock entertainment yeah. but you you'll have all of these different experiences and the that they could be really horrible, terrible experiences, or they could be amazing yeah. experiences. I mean, I had a situation where um, I was, I had a, she, she looked like a, like a, uh, a nude model or an exotic dancer confused me for Axl Rose. No. That was, that was a great one. That's and, crazy. Um, you know, you'll, <laughs> If you do it long enough yeah. and you get out yeah. there and go to all of the places that you're supposed to go yeah. as a band, you can have some of these experiences. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of like weird stuff that happens. I think people don't always think before they, they talk. So I, I've had like a couple moments where I'll look at someone at a merch table and they're talking to me and I just have to smile and stick through it and then, you know... One, like I have to ask them, like, are you gonna buy a T-shirt? Because for me, it, it's it's a bit challenging sometimes. Because I'm like, 
in this room full of dudes. And I try not to worry or think about that too much because it's not the point. Like, I'm, I, I like the music. I like the energy. That's, that's why I'm there. Do you have so, tinnitus? Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, I get that little ring in and my you, ear. You haven't, well, you're young. Yeah. I'm 66 yeah. years old. I'm, I'm experiencing yeah. hearing loss. Oh, my gosh. So a, a lot of times all you're doing is yeah. bob, bobbing your head and just agreeing with everything they say, yes. not even knowing what they're saying. Yeah, especially when the music's playing. Can't hear anything. I just, I just hope for the best. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> so how would you say that, like, you're from Hermosa, right? Hermosa Beach. Well, I, I grew you're, up in Hermosa, okay. but I'm, I live two blocks from where I was born. Okay, gotcha. And you, when you were going to punk shows, when you were getting into it, when you were younger, um, how was the scene? Like, how would you describe the energy and, and the, the people who were coming around? The, the scene in Hollywood at that time was very cliquish. Yeah. It was like, this is our club. You know, and you've not filled out the proper forms to be included in our club. So um, we're not accepting you at this time. And we, we loved all of the bands. Being from where we were, we, we didn't look like any of the people that attended any of these shows. Yeah. And maybe that was one of the reasons we weren't included. Yeah. So we just, we just kept pecking away, chipping away, hanging out, making, making friends with whoever we could make friends with. And um, our situation was Greg Ginn and I, we just hounded Brendan Mullen, who was the guy that created the mask. I mean, yeah. if, if there was one person that would be held responsible and accountable for the early punk rock scene yeah. in Southern California, it would be Brendan Mullen. And we would corner him at the mask, mm -hmm. Greg and I, and it's like, when are you going to let us play? You know, we, we did this for probably about half a year. Jeez. At one point, he had Dutch, who was the doorman. Um, Dutch, I think, picked me up by the belt loop on the back of my yeah. pants and, and grabbed me by the... Because we had long hair. We weren't <laughs> short-haired dudes. We were like crusty. Um, we, we weren't smart enough to surf. We were ho-dads and uh, grimmies and... Um, we all looked like Peter Frampton without any of the glam. Yeah. And so I think Dutch grabbed me by the back of my hair in the loop of my pants and threw me out into the alleyway behind the mask. Finally, um, we showed up at a party and it, it was very fortunate for us because we had a bunch of friends there. We knew a lot of the people that were there. Chris Desjardins from Slash Magazine and the Flesh Eaters. Uh, Fast Freddy, who was from the South Bay. Um, Don Waller was there. Don Waller was in a band called the Imperial Dogs, uh, who was our West Coast version of um, Iggy and the Stooges. Yeah. Kickboy Face. Claude Bessie, who was the main guy at Slash Magazine, was there. Um, I guess 
Freddie normally in those party situations. There were probably about 30 other people in this apartment. The apartment, I think, was about the size of this room yeah. that we're in right now. And Freddie, I guess, just ran out of records to play because he would go through people's record collection. There was one scenario where we were upstairs and there was a swimming pool um, outside the yep. window and Freddie was fingering through the person's record collection and each record that he saw that he thought didn't belong there or was just like, why are you listening to this? Or why do you have a Styx album in here? And the window was open and he would just fling it out <gasps> the window. So there was all of these records yeah. floating in, on the top of the swimming pool. Anyways, Freddie was like the DJ. Freddie ran out of stuff to play. And Chuck Dukowski, our bass player, just happened to have a copy of the Nervous Breakdown EP. Yeah. And he got down on his knees. He placed it on the turntable, placed the needle on the record. And when it blasted, all of the people that were in the room were... Like, what is this? Yeah. And then they looked at us, and it was kind of like somebody pointing a finger, you weren't supposed to make music like this. Yeah. yeah. And that's when we were accepted amongst all of yeah. the, the hierarchy of the interesting LA Hollywood punk yeah. scene. Um, we loved all of it. We loved all of the bands. I mean, even, even the worst bands, even yeah. the lower rung bands. Yeah. We love them all. It was like, we're also learning that a lot of these people, they're just showing up just to be there. It's yeah. like some of them weren't really, um, it gave them something to do. Yeah. And, and a lot of these people were coming from all of these different places that, okay, well, he's an art student down here at uh, Pasadena uh, College of the Arts or whatever. And um there, there were like fashion designers and artists. So it was a good, good, not even good. It was a great mix yeah. of people. It was just a lot of them were uh, kind of snotty and yeah. snobbish and entitled. And you're, well, you're not cool because you look that way. So now all of a sudden we're starting to experience the some of the rules out of the punk rock book. Yes. Like if you're, you've got to do this and you can't do that and you've got to listen to this and you can't listen to that. And it was like, okay. Okay, so we've talked a little bit, of, yeah. little bit about the uh, uh, early LA, Hollywood, Southern California punk rock scene. What about the scene in, you say you're from Sacramento, but yeah. um, I'm familiar with a lot of the Sacramento yeah. scene. But then um, the guys in your band argue as to, well, are we going to tell everybody we're from Santa Cruz? Yeah. Or are we going um, <laughs> yeah. to tell everybody we're from San Jose? Yeah. So what are those scenes? Yeah. What is happening yeah. in those scenes? Um, you know, so I live in Santa Cruz now. And right now, the Bay Area or, or San Jose and Santa Cruz is kind of experiencing this like explosion with hardcore and there's a lot of young people who are really excited. There's so much energy. It's really, really cool. And there's a lot of like camaraderie and like pride that I haven't necessarily like sensed before. And it, it's really exciting. And like, I, I don't know, 
I don't so, know. So how big is the scene? Like I, a couple uh, of thousand people? Well, that's the thing. The people I know, my my like immediate, the people that I, I know, I'll say hi to at a show or whatever, my friends, it's probably like 50 heads. But we get like 2,000 yeah, people, 1,000 okay. people who will come out yeah. to like a big show. And it's like, I don't even know you. When a couple years ago, we would have a show in, in a room that's like, a quarter the size and it'd be all my friends and that was that was the most popping thing you know and so it is really crazy that it's exploded like this and like there's all these faces i've never seen before but it's exciting and it's good i i don't feel intimidated by that at all well, that's good yeah. um so you're going to be meeting a lot more new people yes young um, people yeah they're, they're so excited that that's that's just part of the growing yeah. experience um, that's cool. Santa Cruz. Yeah. What's the vampire movie? <laughs> the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. <laughs> that's that, that's yeah. Lost Boys. Santa Cruz is really territory, cool. Territory, yeah. I moved to so Santa have you Cruz. Experienced yeah. any, have you experienced any vampires? I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I believe in that stuff. Uh, no, just energy vampires. Um, but yeah, Santa Cruz is really cool. There's this, it's just this like touristy surf town and... I moved there three years ago and I, I mean, it was just this like kind of like creative hub and I wanted to be involved in something like that. So that's what drew me to it. And I got lucky and there's just like so many creative individuals that I'm around now and like people making music and, and art and, and taking photos and, and just like consistently like feeding this, this like, growing like scene it's it, it it's it's very it's really cool um but so when it comes to writing i was curious like when you guys were writing wild in the streets did you feel like any pressure to add any like like a a different blend of like creative influence or influences or anything like that like because i feel like when we're writing for scowl sometimes we just kind of we just throw stuff in there and if it works it works That's we don't really the blender. yeah you just you don't like think about it too much but other people are very calculated um i personally hate all yeah. of the calculation yeah. yeah you know that's that's like record label stuff yes that's uh band management stuff yeah you know we've got to do this and we've got to do that and you got to do this to get to point b and once you're at point b you got to skip all the way over to point z and it's like just fucking do it yeah you know but you don't overthink this it's yeah. not like we're a bunch of surgeons performing open heart surgery or yeah. whatever it's just like just jump in and do it and whatever happens happens yeah um the the premeditated uh, overthinking things. That's not what this is about. Mm -mm. This is about like a burst of energy and just like fucking do it. Don't tell me about all yeah. of these plans and, yeah. you know, just add more frosting on my cake. Yeah. I'm a diabetic. I'm not going <laughs> to eat it anyways. So what was that like writing process for you guys like? Well, the, the, the writing process for Wild in the Streets yeah. was basically the same writing process as it was yeah. for group sex. See, now we're, we're, we're promoting two albums here, <laughs> yeah. both of them on their 40th anniversary, um, Trust Records special releases. 
that's the the reason why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And to, of course, ask you some questions yeah. and find out some more information about Scowl. And like I said, the blender. Yeah. Just toss it all in there. Oh, you're listening to Gang of Four, and I'm listening to um, Cheap Trick, and you're listening to King Crimson, and you're listening to uh, whatever, uh, what's our, oh, our new AM station is fucking horrible, the oldie station. It's like you want to hear Creedence Clearwater and Steppenwolf and the Supremes. You want to hear the Turtles and you want to hear um, the Hollies and the Kinks and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, all of the great bands from the 60s. And now they consider fucking Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, fucking oldies hits. And it's like, I'm not listening. I mean, I'm very open to music, but there are certain places... We heard all of that stuff yeah. a zillion times. We don't ever, unless you love it, then more yeah. power to you. I don't. <laughs> um, so we had these. We had these really amazing radio stations mm. at the beginning of the Circle Jerks. One of the guys had just got through hearing the Monkees, and I had just got through hearing Paul Revere and the Raiders, and consequently. Um, we're in the room, and, well, we need a few more songs here. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a good handful of songs. We need some more songs. Well, you know, um, I, had, I had just bought an album by a, a guy named Chris Spedding, K-Rock, which was another one of our stations, FM station, not an AM station, but an FM station. I would listen to while I was doing one of my day jobs, and... Um, they would play uh, a couple of songs by a guy named Chris Spedding, who was a, uh, an amazing uh, British session player. Now, he'd been in a couple of bands, but he basically, he played with John Kell and um, all sorts of really great artists. And one of the songs that he was, that, that the, uh, K-Rock was playing was Wild in the Street. Yeah. His cover version of a song that was written by a guy that lived in New York, Garland Mm -hmm. Jeffries. Now, if you listen to Garland Jeffries' version, it feels like you're melting. It feels like you're just, you're trying to walk down a street or an avenue Mm -hmm. in New York, and the humidity is just so heavy, it's like, uh, and there's a big tuba going boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and it's like, okay, our version was 65 miles an hour yeah. compared to Garland Jeffrey's 12 miles an hour yes, version. Absolutely. Chris Spedding's version was about 30, 35 miles yeah. an hour. And I, 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 I heard the song, I loved it, and I said, guys, let's cover this song. And I'm a multimillionaire. I own six homes on top of a hill in the Hollywood Hills. See, you guys, you, you don't know about this. You don't know about my secret side. I've been, I've been, I'm a poser. I've been lying. <laughs> I've fooled everybody. 
<laughs> I'm a Mormon. I have 20 wives. Yeah. <laughs> I have 100 kids. It, it's your turn. So now you're in a you're in a band. Yeah. You've you're starting to walk. You're no longer crawling. You're going to be. You you say you have a new record, and w what's the name of the new record? Uh, How flowers grow. Okay. Or it's it's newish. It, it was put out at the end of. 2021. Yeah, well, you had the rug pulled out from underneath yeah. you with the, with the COVID scenario. That was, that was tough. Well, it was tough it was, for everybody. It was, yeah, it was, it was a challenge for everyone. And I mean, for musicians. Except for the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't tough for them. Yeah. Uh, and people in high places. Yeah. Um, so now you're getting, you're getting ready to go back out there and start doing it again. Oh, yeah. I know you've played some shows. Yeah. I've actually watched some of them on YouTube. That's the that's the um, amazing thing about YouTube. Yeah. Unfortunately, YouTube is attached to the internet, and it's like somebody tells you, "Well, you should listen to this band." So, okay. So you go on YouTube and you start listening to that band, and you're going, "Well, they're pretty good." Um, who do they play with? I'm going to listen to some of those bands. Oh, this is their scene. This is really cool, because um, I'm a I, I'm addicted to Facebook, which is really a horrible thing because yeah. it it really is just a horrible thing where everybody's propping up their opinions, and all spewing. of a sudden you're you're in a day you could be told of all of you could be told of like 20 new bands and you go to listen to those 20 bands and then all of a sudden you're listening to 20 other bands and then all of a sudden you've spent six hours on on YouTube yeah. and your brain is spinning unless you're making notes and you're, look, this band's really yeah. cool. I better go check out their LP or I'm going to go to, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say the, the, the evil company, but I would say um, because now we're all kind of, kind of, sort of, maybe hooked into Apple Music. Yeah. There, there, there are benefits to all of this stuff. With yeah. all of the evil shit that comes along with it, there are benefits. Just like Facebook, I've reconnected with my first friend from Hermosa Beach when we were, I was seven and a half years old. He's a lifeguard over in New Zealand. Wow. And we carry on. You get to carry on with a lot of people that you've, not talked to in a zillion years, but when it getting back to the music, I would not know anything about your band. But Mr. Joe Nelson, yeah. from Trust Records, said you got to hear them, you got to listen to them. They're really, really good. And you're going to be shooting a podcast yeah. show, and it just made sense. I mean, I wasn't going to come in here and try to stumble my way through this, stumble and fumble and trip and fall. Are you going to catch me when I trip and fall and I'm flat on my face? So I did some homework. And like I said, one of the things that I love about your band is you you trim the fat. There's no excess. Some of the influences that I hear, I watch your drummer and he's wearing a Weezer t-shirt oh, yeah. and it's like, it's you know, there time. would have been a point in time where if you showed up at one of these shows wearing yeah. a Weezer shirt, 
You weren't even going to make it past the fucking parking lot. No, we all allow him. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what's great about all of this. It's like, I have musical influences that nobody else wants to know about. And that's fine. It's not, not the end of my world. Just like it shouldn't be the end of your world. It's like, listen to whatever you want to listen to, do whatever you want to do, play whatever you want to play. And we're going back to the blender. Yeah. You know, everybody has their influences and that's what makes it all so incredibly fun. And it also makes things interesting. You know, because all of this music has been played before. All of these notes have been played before. Yeah. Just put your personality into it. Just be yourself and fuck everybody else. True. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like I, I read stuff online all the time. Like people say like, oh, it's been done before. And it's like, well, hasn't it all been done before? I, I'm just doing what I want. And if you don't like it, that's okay. But I'm going to continue doing this. So you go do what you want, but stay away from what I want, you know? And there's this like, this like anxiety or stress behind like wanting to please these like different crowds and, and like having to kind of like struggle, have that inner, interpersonal struggle where you're like, okay, uh, these are my influences. This is what I want to do with this, but maybe A, B and C people like aren't going to like it. And then I, I just had this click like a while ago where I was like, I don't care. And, and that's, why I did the band that's that's kind of where it began and and now it's like I'm getting tested with like different situations as it's grown but I I get I always go back to this like thought where I'm like I don't care I do what I want and as as like ridiculous as it sounds it's just it's all about simplicity and and like it's almost like having those impulsive creative moments are like so valuable you know um well you're also playing to a lot younger crowd. Yes. Yeah. So um, it would be real easy to get caught up in this mentality. Well, what about all of those old people out there? What about all those old hardcore punk rock people? What about those uh, old metal people? And, you know, you're going to, you're going to play your music and you're going to impress, you'll, you'll impress some of those people, but you're, you're going out there and you're, Playing, I'm, I watched the one thing somebody made a comment about Walmart, and it looked like, <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I think it was in San Jose, yeah. and you were playing behind what could have been a Walmart. Oh yeah, it's like hell, fucking yeah, take yeah. advantage of. What's it. wrong with that? They got to be good for something. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like with that particular show, an exa- like for example, like all of our friends built that stage, all of our friends made that show happen. There wasn't anyone involved pulling strings, trying to get different bands on it. Like it was all done by ourselves. And it was like insane. It was incredible. It it was like the best experience I've ever had at a show. And that just like proved to me. And I feel like anybody else who has like something negative to say about it, that it's like, you don't need, like you're saying, cut off the fat. You don't need all this excess stuff to be, to, to hone in that energy, you know, it's simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. 
Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!